Coming up on this week's Stat Pack, we take a look at a mid-season report of our Mathletics regression for 2013. Also, we break down the big games from Week 10. We take a look at some of the key games to the Intelligence Index in our six-pack of top games. Is Yes, finally, we're back to some huge football games in Week 10. All that and more on Stat Pack. Welcome to this week's edition of Stat Pack providing you with a six-pack of subjects featuring the cold, hard football facts and the stats that truly matter. Here's your host, Adam Dobrowolski. Hey there, Pigskins fans, and welcome to the Week 10 edition of Stat Pack. I'm your host, as usual, Adam Dobrowolski, and we have a lot to get to this week. I know, another week, another controversy in the NFL. I mean, it doesn't seem like we stray away from all the drama. I know, it's probably just the media figuring things out on how to get you, the viewer, to watch television and get ready for football without actually breaking down the pigskins themselves. But we're going to do it here on this show over the next half hour or so, looking at the cold, hard football facts. And yes, even we're going to integrate that into the big story of the week, that involving the alleged bullying of Richie Incognito against Jonathan Martin. We're going to start off on that factor, then take a look at five other topics Here, giving you, of course, a six-pack of topics for Week 10. So what we're going to do here, first take a look at the Miami Dolphins and what's going on. And really, to be honest, what is a Mickey Mouse situation? I know there's many different opinions that have been shared from current players, former players, people outside of the locker room, giving their two cents on this whole Jonathan Martin Richie incognito story. But I just, I want to say this, look. If you're defending someone bullying another person and you're questioning the manhood of a player like Jonathan Martin because he doesn't handle it the way you think he should handle it, I think perhaps you need to look at yourself in the mirror. If, and this is if, Richie Incognito did indeed bully Jonathan Martin, that doesn't make Jonathan Martin less of a man. That makes Richie Incognito less of a man. See, the way I see it, if you're a man... You give your opinions, you have your ways, you stick to it, and you respect other people as long as they do their due diligence. Here at Cold Hard Football Facts, well, we respect the facts. If people are giving their due diligence and give the facts, well, we give respect to them. And of course, we back up our own way with the football facts. But let's look at the reality of the situation by the facts. Whether Richie Incognito was bullying Jonathan Martin or just giving him tough love, trying to get him through the problems. I think you have to question his leadership based on how the Miami Dolphins were playing on the offensive line. This is a unit that was ranked 26th in the offensive hog index. They were 13th in run yards per attempt, 30th in negative pass play percentage, and 22nd in third down percentage on offense. So, If you were to break down really how this offense was doing, a lot of it's been Lamar Miller and his yards per carry boosting that first factor of the offensive hog index. In fact, if you were to give Miami just an overall average amount of run yards per attempt, or you just took away that factor and looked at the other two factors, Miami would be worse. In fact, Miami is 28th between negative pass play percentage 
and third down percentage. So that offensive line that had Richie Incognito as a leader wasn't exactly working out, and it wasn't just the fault of Jonathan Martin. Heck, it wasn't even just the fault of Richie Incognito. But bottom line is, if Martin felt alienated and the Dolphins weren't doing anything to help it out and they were continuing to alienate him, well, now you know exactly why that offensive line has been struggling. And the guy who's been paying the most for it is a guy who's been defending Mr. Incognito and that and Ryan Tannehill. Now, of course, the quarterback's not going to throw anyone under the bus to the media. He's trying to get those guys to protect them after all, right? So bottom line here, the lessons we need to learn from Miami is the production is not getting done with the offensive line. Maybe they need some wholesale changes at this position. Because if you look at it week to week for Miami, the only two times the Miami Dolphins have been even in the top 100, according to our big board, in the offensive hog index was week three and week eight. Those are the only two times, in fact, that they've had a offensive hog index for the week better than 14. It's really been a sad show for the Miami Dolphins that pretty much they've had only two above average performances 10.67 week three, 11.10 week eight. That's it. Those are the only times they've been above average in the offensive hog index for those nine weeks. And really, when you look at it, how much of it has been boosted by the offensive rusher rating and stuff like that? The first Four games of the season, Miami was in the top 100 since then. They've been outside the top 100. They did bounce back week nine against Cincinnati, 101st, thanks to those big runs by Lamar Miller. But the bottom line is this offensive line is failing Miami. And for this controversy to continue and players having their opinions being dressed out to the public, Jonathan Martin, Richie Incognito, this and that, It's not helping the team, and I don't think it's going to help the team. I think they need to get themselves quiet in that locker room and focus on getting those offensive hogs to work together. And I don't care if you have to get guys off the street. If you're Miami, it needs to be fixed when you're a 4-4 and team and fighting for a playoff spot. But that's all I'm going to talk about that issue. On the field, it's not showing. It's been a failure by Incognito. As a leader, it's been a failure by both Incognito and Martin. As football players... Let the rest of the due diligence play out as it goes with the soap opera. But for now, we move forward and we talk to Pigskins looking at the Mathletics from the first half of the season. Find out what stats and trends you can buy or sell as we delve into this week's Mathletics. Well, let's get to it. We take a look at our Mathletics and well, we go back to some of the regression That was expected for this season as opposed to where the regression stands now. Now, I didn't have a preseason podcast, so we don't exactly have the voice to back up these predictions. But you're going to see that some of them were wrong. So I don't know why I'd be giving predictions that were purposefully wrong. So I think you can trust me on this one. We're looking at a six-pack of topics, beginning things off with the rookie quarterback class. Remember last year, everyone's talking about Andrew Luck, RG3, Russell Wilson. Well, I thought that there would be regression for these three guys. And, well, two of them all-encompassing and for the first-round pick overall, I thought it was just going to be with the fourth-quarter comebacks and game-winning drives. Well, 
wouldn't you know the one area I've been wrong has been with Andrew Luck. Last year, Luck, 7-3 and three in game-winning drive situations, 4-3 and three in fourth-quarter comebacks. We haven't exactly had regression because Luck is 3-2 and two in both situations this season. This includes his epic fourth-quarter comeback against the Houston Texans just this past Sunday. And you think about what he's done in the second half or overall in this game in terms of comeback ability, two games, 12 points or more, the Colts have been down, that Andrew Luck's been able to get his team to victory. That is against Seattle and on the road against Houston with the Texans playing for their playoff life. So to look at it overall, that regression doesn't seem to have happened just yet. Now there is a second half of football to happen, so maybe there's some tough luck for the Colts coming on the way. Maybe Andrew Luck keeps playing like a winner and starts to build a Hall of Fame career. As for RG3, two things that really stood out for me. Well, first off, his passer rating, 102.38, best ever by a rookie. I went back, looked at the history of quarterbacks who had a passer rating of 95 or better as a rookie. Very few and far between. Usually, that leads to some second season regression. Well, so far this season, his pass rating, 79.99, just a shade under 80. The reason being, I thought that Griffin's pass rating would go down was primarily because of his interception rate. No, not just because of his knee injury. Yes, that played into a factor because, well, his yards per attempt were over eight as a rookie. I thought that would be tough to do on one knee for a part of the season, but I thought the interception rate would be the biggest thing, and boy has it been. Only five interceptions as a rookie, already nine this season, and you look at his interception rate, 1.27 as a rookie, a dead even three. Nine interceptions and a flat 300 pass attempts through one half of a season. But if we are to talk about interception rate, there was one other quarterback who was pretty good in terms of interceptions relative to his peers as a rookie, and that was Nick Foles. Nick Foles didn't play a lot of games last year, but averaged well over 39 or 35 passing yards per start. And Foles actually had an interception rate under two, just like Griffin, 1.89 to be exact. He, right now, is breaking regression. I thought his interception rate would regress, but it's only getting better. I mean, he's yet to throw an interception after all, and he, did just have a seven-touchdown game, 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions for Nick Foles. I don't get right now why there is even a quarterback controversy in Philadelphia. At the least, you need to have Nick Foles as a starter until you can prove there is someone on that team that's better, and so far we haven't come close to seeing it. Finally, how about Dangerous, Russell Wilson. He was the only other quarterback besides RG3 with a 100-plus pass rating as a rookie, 100.03. This year, slight regression, 98.13. I thought it would be lower 90s, upper 80s for Wilson this season. Well, he's still slightly doing better than expected. But the real reason why I thought Wilson was going to regress was his play against quality opponents last season. In the regular season, not even including his postseason, which he had a pass rating above 100 there too, Wilson against quality opponents last year, 5-1, 14 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, a 107.53 rating. This year, he's still 2-1, 
Four touchdowns, two interceptions with a 90.04 pass rating. Still very good against quality opponents, and that's why the Seattle Seahawks are still a Super Bowl contender. But that regression is still there. Some other things that stand out where I've been right and wrong about, well, if we're going to talk about Indianapolis and having that regression with Andrew Luck, I thought it was going to come also in their record. 11-5 and five outscored by 30 points last year. Previous year, 2-14, and 14, you have that elasticity and the win come. I thought it would go down, but they're 6-2 and two to start this season. They're on pace for a 12-4 and four year to break my regression. But Minnesota also, with that 7-win-plus plateau from 3-13 and 13 to 10-6 last year, they already have guaranteed regression with a 1-7 season this year. Other thing, Eagles pass defense. Last year, they had a touchdown rate of 6.80%, the worst since the 2008 Arizona Cardinals. I thought they would get better in that, which would improve their passer rating. How about it? Their touchdown percentage this season, 3.46. And in fact, how about this? The Eagles have already faced 405 passing attempts this year. That is the most in the National Football League. But it has showed in their defensive pass rating. 31st last year at 99.57. 15th this year, 84.62. Of note, though, we already talked about the Kansas City Chiefs and their amazing job getting better in the pass defense, which will maybe be a problem of elasticity next year. How about the Oakland Raiders breaking regression so far? 97.46 down to 104.97. You have to look back to teams like the 2008 Lions of teams who had a 95 defensive pass rating or worse only to get worse the following year. Usually it regresses back towards the middle. How about Chicago in their pass defense? So many big plays last year. Eight interceptions for a touchdown. That was the most in NFL history at the 98 Seattle Seahawks. I said that would regress. Well, they've had three interception returns for a touchdown so far this season. In fact, five Total return touchdowns. I thought that would affect the intelligence index for them, bendability and scoreability. It hasn't shown in scoreability. They go from third to third and actually have improved 13.25 yards per point score to 12.08. However, their bendability is much worse. They've gone down from third to 25th, 18.23 to 13.29. They can't rely on those big plays anymore. Not having Lovey Smith anymore has really hurt them, and it has shown in the defensive pass rating, dropping about an even 20 points. 71.28 second in the league last year to 91.28 this year, 22nd. Speaking of bendability, the Miami Dolphins, I thought their bendability would get worse. Last year, 18.01 fifth in the league. You looked at them 19th. In yards per drive, but only ninth in points per drive. I thought that would mean they would regress in bendability, and it has. Not a whole lot, but I think enough to show the point. 15.78, which is 14th in the league. And then finally, on an individual level, I thought Eric Decker and Des Bryant would see regression in some category or categories between receptions, yards, and touchdowns. Last year, they became... Two of just 11 receivers in NFL history to put up 80-plus receptions, 1,000-plus receiving yards, and 12-plus touchdowns in one of their first three seasons. Those guys usually regress in one of those categories. The following season, Des Bryant, last year, 92, 13, 82, and 12. This year, he's on pace for 91, 12, 53, 
and 14. That's going to be a close one. If Des Bryant gets hot in the second half, he will break that regression. As for Eric Decker, 85, 10, 64, and 13. This year he's on pace for 92, 13, 38, and six touchdowns. And I actually had this debate in person with a few people about the touchdown distribution. I thought Eric Decker would have some touchdowns taken away with guys like Wes Welker joining the Broncos and then Julius Thomas emerging. And that has pretty much played out to a T. Decker getting better overall as a receiver for the Broncos, more reliable, but not in the red zone. That, my friends, closes out the first half review of my regression. Overall, I give my grade so far a B plus. We're hoping to get into the A range, maybe if there's some other regression as expected. But let's continue on. Next, we look at the big board. Get a taste of the CHFF Insider as Adam takes a look at this week's statistical big boards. Now looking at the big board, we also take a look at a quick six here as we take a look from week nine, beginning things off with the Kansas City Chiefs. And, well, it's time to plug us here on Cold Hard Football Facts. You become an insider for $99 for the season, $9.95 weekly, and you can find out great things to help you the listener, and the reader win the big bucks. You can check out the Intelligence Index, which is CHFF Insider only, and you can find out about teams like the Kansas City Chiefs. And Well, Kansas City, according to our big board, had the best bendability and best scoreability from Week 9. What well, kind of just goes to show, and Buffalo drives all the way down to the one-yard line, and then Kansas City gets a pick six coast-to-coast. That helps out a 23-13 victory for the Chiefs. 36.15 bendability, 9.13 scoreability. Find out where they stand in the intelligence index and why you need to know more about this team for your betting future. Meanwhile, when you look at Kansas City, you also have to look at the Seattle Seahawks when you talk about maybe their smarts hiding their weaknesses. Kansas City had only 3.71 real passing yards per attempt against Buffalo. This is one of five times that a winner has had less than four real passing yards per attempt. In fact, they're 5-17 and 17 in such situations. But four of the, those wins come between Kansas City and Seattle. The only other one, Oakland last week against Pittsburgh. So one bad team beating another, but... Seattle, Kansas City, they have, in fact, the top four winning performances, or bottom four winning performances, I should say, in terms of real passing yards per attempt. Are these teams hiding deficiencies with the passing offense by smart play, and will that come back to bite them in the postseason? I don't know, but I think we should keep a lookout for that in the future. After all, we got to do our homework, right? Well, It's good, though, that Kansas City and Seattle can hide those performances because you can't hide bad passing defense. Not when you have the two worst defensive pass rating performances of the season. Pittsburgh at New England, 151.83, and Oakland against Philadelphia, 158.27. And speaking of that passing dominance, how about the Eagles putting up the best real quarterback rating differential of the season, 88.05 at Oakland. The next best... Road differential, 74.15 when the Rams won at the Texans. And the Eagles have only seen three performances top them from last season. 
We'll see if any get better than the 88.05 of the Eagles in the upcoming weeks. More on the real quarterback rating. How about the Rams having the third best defensive real quarterback rating of a losing team this season? 55.96. Now the problem is, well, they're 50th. So that's right. The top 50 teams in defensive real quarterback rating are 47-3 and three this season. That is another reason why you have to become a cold hard football facts insider. You get the numbers, you get the breakdown, you know which teams are likely to win, and you know who's going to win those key battles to win the game. Oh, by the way, the reason why the Rams probably lost, well, they let Chris Johnson run wild. A defensive rush rating of 184.14 for the Rams against the Titans. Now, the Rams have played well defensive hog index the previous two weeks. They get a good passing defense performance, and they're still on a three-game losing streak. I think they need to figure out that offense, especially because they're traveling to the Colts this Sunday. Well, let's close things out here for the big board, though. Our last subject, the best game and the worst game of the week, according to our quality stats power rankings for week nine, according to the big board. The Chicago Bears, your best performance, 7.55 at Green Bay. Your worst, Pittsburgh, 19.95 at New England. Let's move on. Let's move ahead now to Week 10 here on Stat Pack. Which players or teams are striving as the season churns on? Let's find out with the six-pack of top performers for this week. Okay, boys and girls, as we look at our six-pack of top teams, we're doing things a little bit different here. We're at the midpoint. We're talking about what's coming up. Well, let's not just look at week 10. Let's look at weeks 10 to 17. And I'm going to give you my six-pack of top teams for the second half of the season. Now, this doesn't mean that I think by season's end, they're going to be the top six teams. What I'm trying to say is I think these teams are going to have the best performances exclusive to the second half of the season. So what am I looking for? I'm looking for teams that will do 5 and 2, 6 and 2, 6 and 1, 7 and 1 or maybe even 8 and 0 oh in the second half of the season. And I'm looking for teams that are going to rise in the quality stats power rankings as opposed to staying stagnant unless you're number 1 or 2 or dropping. So let's look and let's understand again this is not me saying that they're a top six team because you're going to see a few surprises coming up. First off, a team that just missed the cut, a team I still think that can go six and two in the final eight games, and that's the Indianapolis Colts. They had a pretty good start to their season. Three wins against top six teams in the quality stats power rankings. They also played a few middle tier teams, the Houstons, the teams that are right there, 17 and 21 Miami teams like that. Second half of the season, they play two against Tennessee, who's tied for 12th. They also play two top 10 teams coming up for the second half of the season, Cincinnati and Kansas City. But they also have pretty much the same formula as they did in the first half of the season, and I don't see this team getting any worse. So 6-2, and two, hey, why not 6-2? and two? They have pretty much, as it seems, two really tough games as opposed to three really tough games Four middle-tier games as opposed to three middle-tier games. And then two bottom-dwellers, Rams this week, Jaguars later on, before they had Oakland and Jacksonville. But let's get to the list. Number six on my list, the defending Super Bowl champions, 
the Baltimore Ravens. I know, 3-5. and five. They have played a poor schedule, honestly, so far. Only two teams in the top half of the quality stats power rankings, and they're only 3-5. and five. They're 16th in the quality stats power rankings. So what gives? Well, just call it a hunch. I think that the Ravens are going to play better. I think that they're going to fight for a playoff spot. Do I think they get there? No, not really. But if we're looking at the Ravens getting back to 509-7, that would mean they finish the year 6-2. and two. And their schedule, albeit pretty tough, not exactly completely tough. Yes, they have five games against teams in the top half, but none better than ninth in the quality stats power rankings, which would be the Detroit Lions. Or the Lions were 11th, but uh, they also have two against Cincinnati. Uh, they have one as well against New England, who's ninth. But still, if they're able to split those four games and win out, 9-7 and seven seems feasible. So I'm going to give trust in a team that has, oh, by the way, won a playoff game the previous five years. I'm going to say they have a second-half run. Number five on my list, the Philadelphia Eagles. Four and five. Am I overreacting to one game? Well, at the beginning of the year, I had a hunch they're going to win the NFC East. I still think they're going to do that. And many are saying eight and eight can win the division. Well, I think nine and seven is going to win a division. So if the Eagles are nine and seven, that means they finish five and two. They are 15th in the quality stats power rankings. Why not see them move up 10th? That would mean that, you know, five plus 15, average it out, 10. Why not? The Eagles have their toughest game in terms of the quality stats power rankings this upcoming week against the Green Bay Packers, and, well, they have Seneca Wallace playing. So keep a lookout for that. They also have some easier-of-the-ground teams, three in the bottom half. So the Eagles can definitely go 5-2 and two if they split those other four games. Number four on my list is San Francisco 49ers. They're fifth in the quality stats power rankings, 6-2 overall. Can they get to 12-4? Well, yes, they play the number one team and the number two team coming up in the quality stats power rankings. So it's going to be tough. They host Carolina. They host Seattle. Let's just say they split those two games. The next game that's the toughest, well, they do have the fourth best team, according to the quality stats power rankings coming up. Maybe that one. Might be a little bit tough uh, when you look overall at the factors. Maybe they lose that game. Maybe they win. But that showdown, as you look at it, is against New Orleans. It's at New Orleans. I think San Francisco can win that game in two weeks, but we will see. Other than that, well, you have five games against teams that are in the bottom half. I think they will win all five games because look at their five-game winning streak. All bottom half teams besides Tennessee, and they've cruised to a victory in each one. Number three on my list, the Denver Broncos. They started the year 7-1. and one. Can they finish 13-3? and three? Well, I think certainly so. I know they have two games against Kansas City left. They have Tennessee. They have New England. They have two games against San Diego. Those are all going to be tough games, incredibly tough for them to see them go 6-2. and two. In their last eight games. But when I look at Kansas City and I look at the Chiefs, you have the imbalance. The Broncos can play offense but can't play defense. The Chiefs can play defense but can't play offense. My question is, can the Chiefs keep Denver to 24 points or fewer? I just don't know. 
My hunch is that Denver sweeps the two games. Would I be surprised if the Chiefs split it? No. But I think those big wins by the Broncos will keep them high up on the list, boost up those quality wins, and if they can go 13-3, and well, yeah, certainly they'd be one of the top six teams in the second half of the season. Number two, despite the injury to Geno Atkins, I have Cincinnati here. Why? It's because, well, a relatively easy part of their schedule because you look at it of their final seven games six are in the bottom half of the league so i think they can go 11 and 5 or better given the schedule they're six and three right now five and two would mean 11 and five their toughest game will be home home that is for the cincinnati bengals moving forward against indianapolis so if they can win that game they may even go seven and one in their final eight games and the number one I think they've been number one on my list for most of the season. The Seattle Seahawks, they're second in the quality sets. Power rankings, I think by year's end, they'll be number one. They've already played games against the top-ranked Carolina Panthers, have already played against teams like Indianapolis and like San Francisco. They'll play San Francisco again. They will host New Orleans. But other than that, the rest of the five games are against teams in the bottom half. Those two tough early East Coast games at Atlanta, at New York, I think they win both. I think they can go 14-2, and two, if not 13-3. and three. So Seattle will be in the best position of everyone moving into the postseason portion of the season. That closes out my power rankings. Now let's look ahead to see which teams are the best and worst bets for this upcoming week with a preview from the Intelligence Index. Let's continue on. We get now the focus on Week 10, looking at the Intelligence Index preview, and we'll have some questions here for six games. What about Washington and Minnesota tonight? Should I watch? Well, you have two teams in negative territory, according to the Intelligence Index. You also have two college football games between top 10 teams. I'm going to be doing channel surfing. I can never not watch an NFL game. I hope you're the same way. But you might want to channel surf, check out the highlights maybe of the game, and then watch the rest of the stuff going on. As for the Sunday games, well, how about Seattle at Atlanta? Is this upset alert for Seattle? Well, their smarts say not so much. They're seventh in the intelligence index, Atlanta 25th. There's a eight-yard Advantage in terms of yards per point for the Seahawks, I still think they're good on the road. How about Cincinnati at Baltimore? Can we expect this to be a close game? Well, the intelligence index suggests yes. Both teams are positive in the indicator. It looks like it's going to be a hard AFC North battle. How about Carolina and San Francisco? Is this really going to be a game that is going to live up to the hype? Well, the Intelligence Index says so. These are two of your top teams in the Intelligence Index. Carolina has the advantage right now due to a significantly better bendability compared to San Francisco, but you have to look at the teams Carolina's played. Your 8th, 9th, 15th, 18th, 21st, 22nd, 28th, and 30th in scoreability for the Carolina opponents. So, I don't think their bendability is really as good as it seems. I think this is a dead-even match in terms of the smarts overall. And I think we're going to have a game that goes down to the bitter end. And then the final question, how about the Sunday night football game? Dallas at New Orleans. What do we make of these defenses 
In terms of smarts, is Rob Ryan actually a better defensive coordinator right now than Monty Kiffin? Well, both teams are doing well, right around top 10 territory for bendability, but New Orleans' defense is just barely better than Dallas's. I don't think it's enough to be necessarily smarter in this game. I think it's going to come down to execution. But Rob Ryan might get the last laugh in the Superdome. Now that we looked at the Intelligence Index for Week 10, let's get to my six-pack of top games. Which players or teams are striving as the season turns on? Let's find out with the six-pack of top performers for this week. Okay, boys and girls, as we look at our six-pack of top teams, we're doing things a little bit different here. We're at the midpoint. We're talking about what's coming up. Well, let's not just look at week 10. Let's look at weeks 10 to 17. And I'm going to give you my six-pack of top teams for the second half of the season. Now, this doesn't mean that I think by season's end they're going to be the top six teams. What I'm trying to say is I think these teams are going to have the best performances exclusive to the second half of the season. So what am I looking for? I'm looking for teams that will do 5-2, and 6-2, and 6-1, and 7-1, or maybe even 8-0 and in the second half of the season. And I'm looking for teams that are going to rise in the quality stats power rankings as opposed to staying stagnant, unless you're number one or two, or dropping. So let's look and let's understand, again, this is not me saying that they're a top six team because you're going to see a few surprises coming up. First off, a team that just missed the cut, a team I still think that can go six and two in the final eight games, and that's the Indianapolis Colts. They had a pretty good start to their season. Three wins against top six teams in the quality stats power rankings. They also played a few middle tier teams, the Houstons, the teams that are right there, 17 and 21, Miami, teams like that. Second half of the season, they play two against Tennessee, who's tied for 12th. They also play two top 10 teams coming up for the second half of the season, Cincinnati and Kansas City. But they also have pretty much the same formula as they did in the first half of the season, and I don't see this team getting any worse. So 6-2, and two, hey, why not 6-2? and two? They have pretty much, as it seems, two really tough games as opposed to three really tough games Four middle-tier games as opposed to three middle-tier games. And then two bottom-dwellers, Rams this week, Jaguars later on, before they had Oakland and Jacksonville. But let's get to the list. Number six on my list, the defending Super Bowl champions, the Baltimore Ravens. I know, three and five. They have played a poor schedule, honestly, so far. Only two teams in the top half of the quality stats power rankings, and they're only... Three and five, they're 16th in the quality stats power rankings. So what gives? Well, just call it a hunch. I think that the Ravens are going to play better. I think that they're going to fight for a playoff spot. Do I think they get there? No, not really. But if we're looking at the Ravens getting back to 509-7, that would mean they finish the year 6-2. and two. And their schedule, albeit pretty tough, not exactly completely tough. Yes, they have five games against teams in the top half, but none better than ninth in the quality stats power rankings, which would be the Detroit Lions. Or the Lions were 11th, but uh, they also have two against Cincinnati. Uh, they have one as well against New England, who's ninth. 
But still, if they're able to split those four games and win out, 9-7 and seven seems feasible. So I'm going to give trust in a team that has, oh, by the way, won a playoff game the previous five years. I'm going to say they have a second-half run. Number five on my list, the Philadelphia Eagles. Four and five, am I overreacting to one game? Well, at the beginning of the year, I had a hunch they're going to win the NFC East. I still think they're going to do that. And many are saying eight and eight can win the division. Well, I think nine and seven is going to win the division. So if the Eagles are nine and seven, that means they finish five and two. They are 15th in the quality stats power rankings. Why not see them move up 10th? That would mean that, you know, five plus 15, average it out, 10. Why not? The Eagles have their toughest game in terms of the quality stats power rankings this upcoming week against the Green Bay Packers, and well, they have Seneca Wallace playing. So keep a lookout for that. They also have some easier of the ground teams, three in the bottom half. So the Eagles can definitely go five and two if they split those other four games. Number four on my list is San Francisco 49ers. They're fifth in the quality stats power rankings, six and two overall. Can they get to 12 and four? Well, yes, they play the number one team and the number two team coming up in the quality stats power rankings. So it's going to be tough. They host Carolina, they host Seattle. Let's just say they split those two games. The next game that's the toughest, well, they do have the fourth best team according to the quality stats power rankings coming up. Maybe that one might be a little bit tough uh, when you look overall at the factors. Maybe they lose that game. Maybe they win. But that showdown, as you look at it, is against New Orleans. It's at New Orleans. I think San Francisco can win that game in two weeks, but we will see. Other than that, well, you have five games against teams that are in the bottom half. I think they will win all five games because look at their five-game winning streak. All bottom half teams besides Tennessee, and they've cruised to a victory in each one. Number three on my list, the Denver Broncos. They started the year 7-1. and one. Can they finish 13-3? and three? Well, I think certainly so. I know they have two games against Kansas City left. They have Tennessee. They have New England. They have two games against San Diego. Those are all going to be tough games, incredibly tough for them to see them go 6-2. and two in their last eight games. But when I look at Kansas City and look at the Chiefs, you have the imbalance. The Broncos can play offense but can't play defense. The Chiefs can play defense but can't play offense. My question is, can the Chiefs keep Denver to 24 points or fewer? I just don't know. My hunch is that Denver sweeps the two games. Would I be surprised if the Chiefs split it? No. But I think those big wins by the Broncos will keep them high up on the list, boost up those quality wins, and if they can go 13-3, and three, well, yeah, certainly they'd be one of the top six teams in the second half of the season. Number two, despite the injury to Geno Atkins, I have Cincinnati here. Why? It's because, well, a relatively easy part of their schedule because you look at it of their final seven games, six are in the bottom half of the league. So I think they can go 11-5 and five or better. Given the schedule, they're six and three right now. Five and two would mean eleven and five. Their toughest game will be home. Home, that is, for the Cincinnati Bengals moving forward against Indianapolis. So if they can win that game, they may even go seven and one in their final eight games. And the number one 
I think they've been number one on my list for most of the season. The Seattle Seahawks, they're second in the quality sets, power rankings. I think by year's end, they'll be number one. They've already played games against the top-ranked Carolina Panthers, have already played against teams like Indianapolis and like San Francisco. They'll play San Francisco again. They will host New Orleans. But other than that, the rest of the five games are against teams in the bottom half. Those two tough early East Coast games at Atlanta, at New York, I think they win both. I think they can go 14-2, and two, if not 13-3. and three. So Seattle will be in the best position of everyone moving into the postseason portion of the season. That closes out my power rankings.